0: Planning, programming, budgeting, and execution, PPBE, has been the way of the Pentagon since the 1960s. Nobody's thrilled with it, but it persists. The latest set of recommendations for reforming Pentagon acquisition comes reinforced in a letter signed by a dozen contractors and venture capital outfits. Here with some details from Applied Intuition, one of the signatories, Ahmed Hamayan. Mr. Hamayan, good to have you on.
1: Great to be on.
0: Now, your company, let's begin here, is a venture-backed technology firm in the, I guess, autonomous zone that has probably been frustrated by trying to shove innovation at the Pentagon?
1: Yeah. So Applied Intuition is a Silicon Valley software company. As you said, we focus on autonomous systems. Our mission is accelerating the adoption of safe and intelligent machines. We have a large commercial business that have been operating in that space for the last several years. And then recently, in the last few years, we started a government business. And we've been successful insofar as we are working with the Department of Defense on programs we think are essential. But we've noticed some challenges that we've experienced that have also been experienced by other of our peers and folks who are not just in the autonomous space, but in other key technologies. And that's sort of what prompted us to I think a bit more deeply about how could we be a small part of improving this process.
0: Now, it's hard enough to sell pencils and desks to the government. That's a long, involved (laughs) process just to get on the GSA schedule. But in the high-tech, let's say, for lack of a better word, defense zone, what are some of the challenges you've seen or you've identified?
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of things. First of all, the procurement process as a whole tends to be very long, very complex, and it tends to favor large incumbents. So securing these contracts takes a long time, a lot of resources. It takes a lot of access to particular networks. It tends to help existing incumbents much more at the expense of newer companies. Uh, And that could be fine uh, if it weren't the case that a lot of the innovation that's happening in the economy today in the commercial marketplace and in particular in Silicon Valley is being done by non-traditional companies, by small businesses. And so this process as it's constructed currently tends to disadvantage those newer entrants. That's one part of this. The other piece here is, and this again is in contrast to what happens in the Valley, there's very limited access to users uh, at the Department of Defense. So in the Valley, you are developing a lot of software very quickly, you're deploying it quickly, you're learning from users. The whole idea is to iterate quickly, to experiment, and then scale what works. In the Department of Defense, you can go 12 to 18 months longer. You can win contracts without having engaged with users. And so that, from our perspective, limits both the Valley's ability to deliver solutions that are responsive to the DoD's needs, and it also delivers subpar solutions to the department. Those are two things that pop to mind. Another common thing is you see a lot of compliance requirements that are both specific to certain agencies that are also dispersed across multiple agencies. It's this confusing labyrinth. It's not clear what requirements are critical to have immediately, what can be deferred. And so all of that for newer entrants to the ecosystem becomes fairly challenging to navigate and introduces friction. Whereas if you're an innovative company, what you want to do is prove that your software or your other commercial capability works sure. and you want the ability to demonstrate it and do it as quickly as possible. And this just introduces friction into that process.
0: Well, give us an example of what it might be like to do business with a commercial client and access to users and so forth. Give us a typical case history of where you've had success commercially and what that looked like, especially that idea of access to the ultimate user of the product.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one simple thing is, you know, we pride ourselves, as many companies do, on being able to deploy on our customer networks quickly, which then allows users on those networks to experiment with our tools and to give us feedback. We can do this typically within weeks uh, in the right corporate environment, sometimes less than that. When it comes to deploying our software on the government side, It can easily take much, much longer than that. It can take months if you don't have the right accreditations in place. Even if you have those accreditations in place to operate on a given network, it's unclear that they will transfer over to other networks or with other agencies. So in some sense, you're reinventing the wheel each time. Again, this is sort of like a logistical administrative example, but it has a very salient effect on the ability to deliver capability quickly. Uh, And at the end of the day, what's the point here? The point is to deliver these capabilities to users who then will be able to give feedback and do something useful. But it's not happening or not happening as quickly as it does on the commercial side.
0: We're speaking with Ahmed Humayun, who leads federal marketing at Applied Intuition. And does that question specifically of the planning programming, budgeting, and execution process come up in their discussions with you? Do they say, yeah, we'd love to get it in here now, but we can't because of PPBE requirements and et cetera, et cetera?
1: So what I was offering you was a tactical example of a challenge that we face in delivering our capability quickly. I think, so no, people aren't citing the PPBE process when they're bringing up these kinds of challenges. Where I think the broader PPBE process, and really that's, as you well know, is part of a broader set of processes like the JSIDS process, which defines technology requirements, the PPBE process, which budgets for them, and then the acquisition system, which ultimately procures solutions against them. This whole web of systems works over a multi year period. It defines requirements very rigidly in the beginning, it budgets for them in a very rigid way in the middle, and then it procures them through a drawn-out process that's often opaque to industry. So as a result of that, sort of in a macro sense, processes like PPBE constrain newer entrants to the ecosystem from participating.
0: All right. So you have signed a letter urging the Defense Secretary to really take a hard look at the Atlantic Council recommendations. And there is some crossover, I guess, in the ecosystem of the Atlantic Council study of this whole acquisition and inculcating technology question with a commission that's looking specifically at PPBE. And so what in the Atlantic Commission that you signed to underscore do you feel are the most important things DOD could do to speed up adoption of new technology and innovation?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so there are several things. I mean, I think the first thing is to start with recognition of the macro point, which is that the center of innovation used to be the DoD. Now it's shifted to the private sector. We know this just based on the level of investments that are being made. So if you look at the fiscal year 2024 budget, it spends maybe $145 billion in R&D. If you look at how much VC spent, In the commercial side for example in 2022 it was north of 200 billion dollars based on how you calculate so there's a lot of commercial investment that's happening it's not being effectively leveraged by the department of defense that's sort of the core problem that we think the department should address and that the letter and the commission recommendations attempt to address so then what are the things that are being recommended that could help inject that commercial innovation into the department so there are a couple of things one thing is building on successes to date. So, for example, we shouldn't say that the acquisition process has been completely static and there haven't been attempts to to improve. There have. The uh, Department of Defense created, for example, the Defense Innovation Unit, the DIU, that has played a central role in injecting commercial technology into the Department of Defense. But it has not been well-funded. It has not been given, historically, a lot of authority to procure technology. Now recently, and this was in fact a recommendation in the report that was released a few months ago, it's been elevated as a direct report to the Secretary of Defense. So that was a great step. So what are other things that can be done to build on that? One thing is providing funding to DIU to directly be able to fund technologies, to work on consolidating the efforts being done by other innovation organizations within DOD. There are actually many of them. There are organizations in all the different services, there are organizations that straddle the services, but these need to be coordinated. They need to be consolidated so the department has a better sense of where is the actual both demand signal within the department for specific technologies, and then also where in the commercial marketplace are solutions that can fit those needs. So funding those efforts correctly and consolidating those efforts is going to be the key here.
0: And if you look at some of the solutions that are floating around that should be inculcated, such as yours or such as something in artificial intelligence, they all seem to be software. But is there innovation happening in material science or some other type of hardware area that's equally difficult in your experience?
1: So that's a great point. So the traditional acquisition process was designed around acquiring large, exquisite hardware platforms, right? Ships, tanks, planes... And it makes sense. The process makes sense if what you're thinking about is acquiring these massive platforms over multi-year, sometimes multi-decade timelines. Much of the innovation that is happening today is happening on the software side, and these acquisition systems are not designed to leverage that innovation successfully. Now, to your point, yes, it's not just on the software side that innovation is taking place. There's all kinds of innovation taking place in the material sciences and other domains. And I think our broader position here is doing these kinds of changes will be helpful across the board. The technology is changing too fast now, both on the software and the hardware side, for us to do these very like rigid timelines where it takes two years to define a requirement, two years to figure out the budgeting process for it, two years to get a company on contract. That's not good whether you're a hardware provider or a software provider or you operate at the nexus of the two.
0: Ahmed Hamayan is head of federal growth at Applied Intuition. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And we'll post this interview along with a link to that letter at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA.
3: what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about
2: the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top
3: 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Susulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness